listen to subscribe to the table of truth on itunes spotify stitcher and google podcasts Welcome, everybody, to Blurred Lines. It's your man, Cam. With me, as always, is... The man known as Officer Vogler, a.k.a. the one that can bench 80 midgets. <laughs> as well as... This is Big Josh, a.k.a. the Black Professor X, complete with the ball, with the with the baldy. I'll, I'll clean that and, up. <laughs> and bringing it up to the rear. And this is... D'Angelo, a.k.a. The Professor, a.k.a. The Most Diabolical, a.k.a. The Evil Genius. I really got to get me some AKAs. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. We are talking about House of Dragons. They just wrapped up, and we will have a good recap of this past season. It was a little crazy. A lot of dragons, a little bit of boobs. If I may interrupt you, a, yes. I may interrupt you, the House of the Dragons. <laughs> hey, I'm Black. House of Dragons. <laughs> Both are wrong, but we're, we're <laughs> Both are wrong. Yes, it is officially go ahead, wait, the go title ahead. is go ahead. either Game of Thrones colon that's the two dots vertical dots. Sure, sure. House of the Dragon. Oh, so I had an extra. Uh, my bad. House of the Dragon. Not the the only time it's used is the House of the Dragon is if it's in conversation and usually by the characters you know because right. it's like uh you know like when Vasira says the house of the dragon cannot stand yeah. because technically in the story the house of the dragon c- includes also house Valorion because they're right they're um, dragons. they're they're commingled so much by blood with with um with you know the targaryen so yeah. right yeah my bad so no, this, no, 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 no. Yeah, I'm just you know, I got it. I got it. It's this, my uh, job. It's my duty to, to make the corrections on this thing. This, uh, this, this, grammar, this, this grammar lesson is brought to you by the letter D. Allie, <laughs> you know what I usually say? Hot D. <laughs> simple. Hot D. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's dra- it dropped, and there's a lot of fanfare, but a lot of positive fanfare. It wasn't like the last, uh, last final uh, finale of Game of Thrones. It was it was a lot more on the positive end. Um, pretty much thought th- things that you thought were going to happen. A couple, couple, uh, but overall, I thought it was pretty dope. Um, D, what do you think about the, the the season finale? Actually, you know what? What do you think about the whole overall series? I should say. Um, I think it had its ups and downs. I think overall, they they came out swinging and they did a really good job at being faithful to the canon more so than the Game of Thrones writers when they started. Um, I think the Game of Thrones writers became gradually more endearing to uh, include more canon, but from the very beginning, they were trying to set themselves aside from A Song of Ice and Fire proper. That's why early on, if you look at the costumes and all that stuff, you can barely see the sigils. You don't really, they don't have the accurate colors of the houses. It's it's very, it's very nondescript. So to see them right out the gate, show the world as George R. R. Martin imagined has described. And I mentioned this before with the Iron Throne, it's not supposed to look like this comfortable seat that everybody wants. It's supposed to look like an ugly, jaggeded uh, thing that's a result of a war. You know what I mean? So it's, and it cuts, it draws blood. 
Um, so yeah, I thought the first season, it's 10 episodes was, were good. The time jumps were up and down the times that they worked really well. And there were times where they probably should have slowed it down a bit just so that some of these things don't get lost from episode to episode. You know, the I kept everything was, together, but that's because the time I was about, about was about what, 10 years, roughly like over. No, no. When you when at that point, at the last part, at the last moment of episode 10, at least 20 years have passed, maybe more. Yeah. Rhaenyra, when she I don't know if they've announced this in the story, but in the text, when Rhaenyra and Aegon take their the respective uh, crowns. Aegon is 22 and Rhaenyra is 32. Oh, yes. interesting. So that, remember when we first meet her, that character. She's like 13 or something like that, or like 16 or something. She's 15, I think. Okay. So yeah, the time oh, jump, wow. I think could have been a little bit more smoother. They tried, they did a good job of holding the narrative um pieces together but i think going into season two they can't skip as much and they won't need to um if george R. R. martin said if he had his way there would have been more time jumps and they would have covered 40 years so <laughs> <laughs> so he, he don't care about no actors he but i think that's because he likely would have started during the last 10 or 20 years of king jaharis's reign so that you meet uh, Balon and Alisande Targaryen, uh, uh, the mother and father of, of Viserys and Daemon, and you meet, um, you also meet, um, Rainey's, uh, mother Paris, and father Paris. or whatever. So you see those connections because truthfully, this conflict started, the seeds started far back before. All this what we saw on House of Dragon. That's just where it started to kind of take on a real vicious, nasty side. Yeah. Uh Josh, what do you think? Um, I thought it was I, I, I it, it defied expectations, you know. Um, and I think it, it's weird because you know you talk to some people, their expectations are extremely low because of how Game of Thrones finished. And then you have people who uh, had high expectations because they know the source material. And frankly, there's no way, if you follow it even loosely, there's no way that you could possibly pull another Game of Thrones like how Benioff and Weiss did at the end there. Um, I was kind of in the latter camp. I was like, you know, even if they, even if they take liberties, you have to work really, really, really hard to screw up what I do know of that of of uh, of fire and blood. Um, but yeah, I, 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 the time jumps were a little jarring. It took a little get, getting to. But you know, if you factor in that, that's the way the books are written. The books are written basically as sort of um, a, a maester reading, uh, reading, reading parchment uh, like like sort of a, a chronicling of of that time period so it's incomplete so yes they're going to be time jumps so yeah. i think in the context of in the context of how it's written i think the time jumps worked 
um, the attention to detail, like Dee mentioned, uh, is just way, 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 way up there. Um, there's a certain reverence you can tell that the producers and writers have for the source material. Um, you know, they took a couple of uh, they they took a couple of liberties. You know, added some things, subtracted some things. You know, and ignored some things altogether. Uh, threw in some extra things here and there. Uh, but for the most part, the things that they added or subtracted made sense, at least to me, anyway. Um, yeah, it just it, it it worked. It worked. I loved all the actors. Like you, uh, I, how I know it was working is because every time there's an it, there's, they swap out actors, I'm attached to the actor playing whatever the role was. Like the um uh yeah, the, the Millie uh, Millie who played young um young Rhaenyra, I was very attached to that actor playing that role. Uh, despite the fact that Emma Darcy is absolutely killing it. Um, you know, Damon, of course, has not been changed. Has not been <laughs> out at all. Shout out to Doctor <laughs> Doctor Who. And did it he I was did just his about thing. to say. Um, Matt Smith is absolutely I, everything I imagined Damon Targaryen when I man, read. He's been saying that since the first episode. The stories that I've read. I mean, it's it's literally like Either he read the stories as research, which I sh- I'm sure he did because it's not a mm-hmm. like, long, long story. But he is Damon. I couldn't imagine anybody else. Like anytime I think of Damon now, when I'm reading that name on text, Matt Smith's face is in my mind. Yeah, uh, and mm-hmm. I, I, and as as you mentioned, you know, I'm a I'm a, I am a Doctor Who fan, and Matt Smith. It's almost it almost feels like this is light work for Matt Smith. If you've seen him in Doctor Who, like he really put a lot of heart and soul into that character. And you know, when he was on quick aside, when he was on Doctor Who, I distinctly remember so he came after David Tennant and David yep. Tennant was just like just revolutionized the entire show. So to come after him initially I was like I don't care who this dude is, David Tennant's gone, is he's going to be whack. I'm not gonna like it. I'm gonna just I'm gonna just say now. I don't even know who it is. I'm not gonna like it. And <laughs> he came in and within like two, three episodes, absolutely bodied it. And then just continued to sort of vault to this new height every few every couple seasons. So, you know, when he was done with that role, I remember thinking to myself, he needs more so than David Tennant, because David Tennant is like Broadway, Shakespeare, whatever. Um, he he's going. He was working before he's going to be working. But Matt Smith, being a relative unknown, my thing was I was like, yo, after what after the work this dude put in on Doctor Who, he's got to get something he can sink his teeth into. And so you know he languished a little bit. You know, did a couple of you know BS movies or whatever. Um, notably, the Terminator movie he was in as oh, as the living Skynet. Um, I forgot about that, which we're not nice. going to talk about. But um, but yeah, you know, he he was Prince Philip in the Crown. Bodied that. I was like, mm, needs to be something more. You got to give him, you got to give him a little bit more on the bone than that. And this came along, and as soon as it was announced, I you it, you guys can attest to this. The second it was announced, I was like, he is going to destroy playing Damon Targaryen. Mark my words. And he has to this from. Episode one to the last, 
he absolutely bodied the role of Damon. I'm so happy with his performance. I'm so happy with his portrayal. And as a fan, I am very happy to see him get a well-deserved come up. When he's done doing this, he's going to do, he's going to be able to do whatever he wants. And I cannot wait to see what comes after. Um, but yeah, so, so pivoting back to, to, to the show. Yeah. Overall, I, I was extremely happy and how I know I was happy is I went back. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, my brain is trying to make space for, for watching the episode a week after it's already off the air until the second season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Nah, Matt Smith was killing it. Cam, what'd you think? Uh, let me first start off by saying that these uh, thoughts of mine are not a reflection of the table of truth. <laughs> the author. Uh, no, it, the show is fine. Um, for the most part, my biggest gripes are my own small personal gripes. Uh, again, I don't mind the time jumps. I just like to have like reference point of when the time jump happened and maybe how old these characters are. Give me some indication of what's going on in this timeline. I was a little lost, um, but that's just me being unfamiliar with the text work. But that's also uh, the, the pros and cons of me of, of of a show that has two expectations. One, you're familiar with the work and you kind of know what's going on, or being unfamiliar with the work and investing in time and doing the homework and maybe wanting to get into it a little bit more and then maybe you can have some more insight. Um, I, for me, the show makes me want to go read the story and get a little bit more into it, which is cool. It's, it's neither, right now it's neither good nor bad. It's just, I need more understanding of it. So I won't be as critical. Um, second of all, the thing about Game of Thrones was it hooked me in the beginning. This hooked me, but not in the same capacity. Um, I like that they they go back to what made Game of Thrones pivotal was good dialogue, good writing. Um, I had an issue with pacing, but that's because I had no idea where the hell I was as a viewer. <laughs> uh, it wasn't a big deal. Um, visually, there's a lot to be desired, but that's because I've been watching Rings of Power, which threw like half of the GOP into its budget and production. So, <laughs> you know, I can't, it's it's unfair comparison, but that doesn't take away what uh, House of House of the Dragon is like. It's a really good show, really good writing, and I want to give it a, a second season before I can be very fair about it. But it, it, it it's not something I'm gonna be like, yo, this this is classic stuff because I said that in the first season of Game of Thrones. But again, I was not familiar with it. When you go back and you look and revisit Game of Thrones first season, and then you compare it to the books, I think House of Dragon does a bit. From what I read, from uh, one of from D's uh, critical analysis and from what I read online, this does a better job of being more con- it, it, more in continuity with the books. So I'm gonna give kudos to and credit where it's due. Um, CGI is a little, a little funky. Again, these are minor things. These are not things that's gonna make me not watch this show. Um, they, there were choices like for myself, like I didn't mind spoilers. So I was doing a little research and a little homework on some of these characters. There's a lot of characters to be invested in and like there were certain choices that I didn't understand that for, in my opinion would have made a difference if they'd have kept it a certain way and we were talking offline about a certain decision of how uh Eamon couldn't control his dragon to kill Jasaris and in the books it seemed like it was a choice and it was more of his pride and he went forward with that 
that's neither high nor hair. It's like it's not a big deal to where it's gonna make me feel like, oh, this sucks because they didn't stick strictly to the books. Every show has not sticking strictly to the books. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, it was a curious choice, but it's not gonna break me from taking it from seeing the second season. And I wanna see this all the way through. Um, because it's only season one. Mm-hmm. It's good, it's solid. The act some of the actors stand out more than the others. That was a good thing that Game of Thrones had that has translated well to um, House of Dragon, House of the Dragon. Um, I want to see how this plays out, but it was going a little too fast. And I was like, wait, how old is such and such? What, how much time? And the, and the thing you mentioned earlier, one of you guys mentioned is like, if this story when I went back to, uh, who was the king before Viserys? King Jaharis. King Jaharis. That's the, the, the good and bad. When you see that kind of prologue about it, you're like, dang, I wonder what's going on. How did this come about? I'm curious now. Now I want to see that storyline or a little bit before. It's kind of like when you watch the first Lord of the Rings and you see that big battle, you're like, how did they get here? How did that battle come forth? We only get a glimpse. And we only get a glimpse of the politics and the decision that uh, Jaharis made in picking uh, King Viserys as the next ruler. That would have been a very interesting plot line. Just a little bit back just to see how that came about. But again, will this stop me from watching the show? No, it's just the curiosity of mine wondering, hmm, how did they come to that decision? Mm-hmm. And then the cool thing about this is like, you mentioned about the Iron Throne. When I read about the Iron Throne, it is a vicious throne and they they, they did some justice to this and you can see the effects of sitting on the throne. It's like almost, a, it's a curse to sit on the throne. And that's mm-hmm. a cool aspect of the show. Um, overall, it's cool, it's a good show. Again, I, I am still a little bit uh, cautiously optimistic because of season six through eight of Game of Thrones. You know, I, once they start going for the home run fanfare, I would tune out. This show has not done it yet. Um, I have my shield up for when it does. Hopefully it doesn't. But right now, so far, so good. Yeah, I would say the one quick thing I would say for me was the um, I wish they were more um, apparent with their time jokes, like just like kind of what Cam said. So maybe they even said it ahead of time. Hey, Six episodes is going to be boom. Three episodes is going to be boom, or each arc. So at least that gives the viewer a little bit of understanding. Because I think you're right. They didn't really have like you know normally in a, in a film they'll have like oh twelve months later or three years later, and like in this one you just kind of had to guess like oh oh I guess we're grown now. <laughs> and and it's it didn't. Not Burger it, King. It, it, you cannot it, have it your way, sir. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't ruin it for me, but I, it, it's someone that was unfamiliar with it. It was my own fault for being a little lost. You know, like. I'm I'm not familiar with this particular storyline. Somebody that's familiar probably would have a best, better guesstimate than I would. Well, yeah, that's true. But to be fair, in each episode, there is a mention of where they are time-wise, either through a character or some event. They make yeah. it. They make sure that they establish they at the beginning yeah. where they are time-wise in the beginning. Now, it is one of those situations if you blink or turn this way, you might miss it. So in that sense, again, that that falls on the onus of the writers, the people who are making it. You, It's not up to the audience to make sense of it in that way. For the mysteries and all those things in the narrative, yes, we, we have to unpack that. But if it's just hard to understand, that's that goes to the, to the writing of the thing or yeah. the creation of the thing. Just like with the cinematography, the biggest criticism of this season was the cinematography, 
the CG, and a little bit of the pacing. But like we all pointed out here, the pacing was kind of necessary because of this story is not a dense, yeah, epic story like A Song of Ice and Fire. It has no point of view characters, which I want to talk about that for a second with regards to Eamon, because that was brought up. There is nothing in that text that says how Eamon or Lucirus feels in terms of that moment when they are up in there and they're fighting because we don't have their point of view. The only thing we have is from the ground and various reports again, and even the maester when he's writing the fictional maester, we'll say George R. R. Martin, he, when he's writing about it, he's always specifically states about all these events that there are several conflicting accounts of what happened. Here's what, based on all of my research, here's what I think is the likely thing that happened. And then he go, and so for the show writers, they have to then take that and say, well, what do we go with? Do we go with, because all of this is unsubstantiated, you know, one way or the other, because when he publishes this, he didn't experience it. And the person, the last living person, I think that he talks about fictionally is like very, very old and barely remembers during the events during that time. But what I liked about Eamon losing control of Vagar is because A, it pays off what Viserys said in the very first episode, which was mm -hmm. the, the idea that, dra that the Targaryens control and dragon lords of the past control their dragons is an illusion. It's a trick. It's one of those things that, like Varys talked about when it comes to power, power resides where men believe it resides. Not where and it the is. reason why Targaryens were believed to be closer to gods is because men believe that conversation was privileged between Viserys and, and, and Rhaenyra, but everybody else believes that Targaryens are closer to gods because no one else can control dragons, not even Valerians, and they are of Valyrian descent. But the biggest thing that that show was uh, also one of the things in the lore, which is they didn't say it in Game of Thrones, but Melisandre has a quote in the books where she says that using magic in that world is like holding a sword without a hilt. Like you, whenever you use magic and dragons are the embodiment of magic in that world, you are never in complete control. And quite often there is a vicious consequence. Another thing, remember, the series said a lot of things that are going to be bigger payoffs later. Later on. Allison asked him, do, did he ever think that they would return to old, the way old Valyria was? What was his answer? His answer was, well, are you talking about at its height or at its end? And so in, in that bookends when he says dragons was were a power men should never have trifled with because it brought doom to valyria so foreshadowing we can see that he's saying if they don't carefully use dragons if they don't treat them with the respect respect they have it will bring doom to the house of the dragon which it totally does and this is supposed to be a um they've they signed on for what this is supposed to be four seasons i believe or five well, um, they haven't officially said. George R. R. Martin said that he thinks four would do it. Um, 
I think I read a rumor where they were already talking, even before he said it, they were already saying three to four. Um, because I think in their mind, this isn't House of the Dragon is not just going to be Dance of the Dragons. It's going to possibly be Dunkin' Egg or, you know, um, the other even, even um, Aegon's Conquest, possibly. You know, mm. it's going to be several eras of the 300-year history of, of the Targaryens in Westeros. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know for sure. Can I add something? Uh, mm -hmm. The one gripe that Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon had is when they do that color correction. Don't try to sell me and say this is supposed this how it's supposed to be watched. Yeah, they <laughs> need to they need crap. to get better with that. That yeah. is crap and yeah. and and, and it undermines the viewer's intelligence <laughs> by saying yeah. you know you got to sell it. That, like that's whoever made that decision. Like get rid of it. Like I, I'm not trying to change my TV settings. To watch it. <laughs> it's ridiculous. No, it's 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 absolutely stupid. And it's really just one of those things that they throw out there to try to say, oh, you just don't get it. And we we are no, we know what we are doing instead of just because they're not gonna admit that, oh yeah, the cinematographer just fucked up and they couldn't. Does anybody does, it, does anybody know if it's the same DP that did um that the did dark, the long the night one? Yeah. <laughs> uh, good I question. Have to look that up, but I don't. I know it could be because my, the the one of the the one uh, producer who who's leaving after the first season who directed that long night, Miguel Supachek. I think his name. Sapochnik. Yeah, he is. He was the director of the Long Night, so I don't mm -hmm. know if he kept that that same the same guy, but that they did the cinematography. But there were issues with the cinematography and the CGI throughout the first season. Um, I didn't like, and I still didn't like the scenes, the exterior scenes of Dragonstone. I thought they looked terrible. Yeah, um, was that night scene was that <laughs> next guy that does a scene like that at night. Wow. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah, they it seemed like the, they skipped the King's Justice. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's, they skipped on the cinematography. This was some. It was, it was one of those things where it's like it, you you don't really notice it, and then when, until you do, you're like, oh, this is cool. Then wait, what the hell? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I like the the when the one thing I liked because it showed Dragonstone that period versus Dragonstone when Daenerys first shows back up. 20 years removed from Targaryens being there in a hundred or so years from when dragons flew freely and, and actually nested in the dragon mount, the, the, the volcano, well, the whole island is a volcano. Um, the castle was built into the volcano. Um, but that seeing the steam and the smoke that, because that's coming from the dragons being on the island and the fact that they're there and they emanate such a powerful heat that, of course, you're going to see that steam always there. That's the only thing. But it's hard to see otherwise. Like, it, it's not it's reading, but it's making the, the shot itself look very foggy and, and otherwise opaque. And that's yeah. one of the things I didn't like about it. I thought the cinema, the cinematography has to get better. Game of Thrones did that well up until that long night episode where it just like 
what was going on here. Like, you don't need to make it that dark. We get it. It's the long night, but, you know, we, we can – willing suspension of disbelief does count for something. It should. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying that they can't see. Yeah. Like, oh, it's yeah. so dark. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember, we don't know what's going on. Why? I remember that we watched that, and we watched that. We like, I think we turned the lights off too, because it was just like, Yo, what? And then we had to turn up the. I was like, what is going on? Why is it so dark? Hey, so let me dark. let me ask you a question, D. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Rainiris, that's uh, Corliss's wife, right? Rainy, Rain, Rainis, Rainis. So, She's when like, did her the hero? <laughs> when did she turn in favor of? Um. Good lord, I'm having a blank right now. Rhaenyra? Yeah, Rhaenyra. Like, because you could see the smirk on her face when she was like, I got your back type of deal. Now, now when yeah. did that happen? Well, I think that happened. That happens when Rhaenyra goes to talk to her and plead her case about when they were trying to figure out um, the whole if Carlos died or whatever, when, when Vayman, uh, when he was trying to, to take the, the driftwood throne from Lucira, I think honestly, it was, it's kind of one of those things where you just gotta, you gotta look at the interactions between the two, because in that moment, she accepts that Rhaenyra didn't, wasn't actually, is telling the truth that she wasn't responsible for Lena's death. She knows there's probably something more that she'll never find out because that's just the nature of that world. Um, but she also sees the mother that she's being to her granddaughters, and the fact that, and the fact that, you know, she there is that is her favorite cousin's daughter. At the end of the day, there is something to say about family, and I think when she sees what the high towers do to Rhaenyra. It's mm. different than what the Great Council did to her. Mm. And it stings a lot worse because remember, she told Rhaenyra that this would happen. Yeah. But I right? think that's like even a in her too. mind, she thought, okay, they wouldn't do it like that. Like they wouldn't do that. But they went as so far as to let in the book, they let Viserys's body sit in his chambers and rot for like almost 10 days Damn. before they actually make the yes like they had to find Aegon they had to like make sure nobody left the castle like this was busy work that they had to like hurry up and do because when they found out he was dead the first thing they went to was Allison and she had Sir Kristen Cole do his thing okay. and, Aegon, and yeah. all that stuff and they wanted to make sure that nobody got out in that Aegon was crowned before they announced that Viserys was dead. So they, when she saw the coup, I think that was what really turned her. But then uh, when she saw Rhaenyra's actual leadership and the fact that she wasn't hasty to jump right into war like Damon or like to try to send threatening overtures to her half-brother and, 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 and her siblings because she understands that that's not what Viserys would wants would have would have wanted, and also, if they're going to hold the realm together, the last thing they need to do is unleash dragons on dragons because that's going to be bad. So I think Rainey's changes her mind from from three fa from a few factors, not just one thing entirely. Yeah, so I agree. And, I, and additionally, not to cut you off. I, I, additionally, I think her conversation with Corliss. 
like you know she she knew i think she had an idea of what should be done but i think she also remember they kind of beat beat home that this is not the game of thrones world where women are empowered and can move a certain type of way and speak for their you know speak for their houses in a certain type of way this is 200 years before that so you gotta think about the fact that women aren't as aren't don't have the same voice and so she be keeping that in mind she's not in a position to speak for her house no. so at the very minimum she needed to consult with her husband she so and 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 i think that speaks to why she didn't fry those cats straight up on the stage when Aegon Aegon was being crowned you know what i mean the, she the knew Lord Carlos could have been like let's side with with king Aegon yeah, and, and any direction and she mm. even though she is the woman of that house she is not in a position to make decisions on that scale on behalf of her house so she, she respects kind of her husband, husband though she respects right her thank you that's where i was going with all that yeah and i think in her mind starting to make decisions on his behalf is an admission that he's dead and that's and that's right. one of the things that she wasn't going there just yet so I, yeah, it, it was a combination of all everything that Josh mentioned and and all the things before, but biggest thing is if the high t- I think she saw that the high towers play in treachery, and now mm-hmm. and now her grandchildren's lives are are at stake, and I yeah. think she knew that either way war was coming, and right it would be smarter to be on this side of the fence because this is more they had a moral as high of a moral high ground at least at this point they still got the moral high ground but as high as you can get it they had it because again the the high towers the way they moved was totally treacherous and and uh a coup like it was nothing you can't it was coup d'etat it was nothing uh yeah Yeah. nothing else so i think that was and I think no, on top of that, no Game of Thrones. <laughs> you can also add on top of that. Let's say she made that play, and then goes back to Driftmark. She they could have had all of King's Landing dump on you know at the doorstep of of of, of on on the doorstep of Driftmark in a matter of you know what a day or two, and just obliterate the entire house with no real with no real say from the head of that house on what's what and what's not. So again, it uh, to me it all doves, dovetails back to her not being in a position to make decisions on behalf of that on that scale on behalf of her house, especially with the possibility of her husband still being alive and possibly just wanting to proceed in a different way. But I also think, in terms of the writing, I'm just going to add this really quick. You never want to. You always want to challenge your own established world and rules, right? This is a world in which we've seen several different types of power on display. In that, we saw ceremonial ornamental power facing off against actual power. Cersei's maxim: "Power is power." Because in that moment, she had the power, but she also did something that we saw see that a lot of the men characters wouldn't have. She mm-hmm. restrained herself and said, no, this is going to be fought in a different way on another day. And if there can be peace, if we can avoid slaughtering each other's children and ending entire families, why don't we do that? She didn't have to. She was on melee. She could have ended the whole thing. 
She also possibly could, would have killed herself because not, most likely the other dragons would have roused and they would have come up and, and it would have <laughs> So, you know, there was a lot of risk there. I think her whole big thing was that she wanted to get out of there, but they started closing the doors. Well, the thing is, too, and this is being privileged from watching the other show, the small decisions you do or do not make will have grandiose repercussions later. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. oh, for sure. And I think the people who are truth tellers, and this is something that D'Angelo points out over and over with both Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon, the people who are the truth tellers or, you know, who who are on some, on, on the side of air quotes, right, in the face of, uh, in, the, in the face of uh, those who might be doing wrong, but have the upper hand, always get deaded. Every last time. There, there are a few things that I've, I've come to notice about the game, uh, excuse me, the George R.R. R. Martin's TV shows. Mm-hmm. The, the decisions you make will have repercussions later. The mm-hmm. people who play by the rules always get dealt the unfair hand. Always die. Um, and the thematic thing is always family. Yeah. So these are things that I've come to recognize as common in these in this world, in these both stories. Mm-hmm. Everything revolves around family. And institution. Institution and, and family, institution, and tradition. Those are the three things that are often, because think about it. Allison and Rhaenyra, they're at the heart of this story, right? Their rivalry. Friendship turned rivalry is at the heart, the driving force of this generational conflict because Allison and Rhaenyra impressed their feelings for each other upon their children. And the children took it are the ones who actually ignite the, the biggest flames. Lucerus takes Aemon's eye. Aemon then kills Lucerus. And that is really what started the actual fire and blood. And so... You're right. It's all about family, but those those challenges of tradition and institution, the patriarchal pressures that force Alicent to go and seduce her friend's father, the king, the 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 patriarchal dissonance of, you know, Rhaenyra having to lie to her friend to, to about what she did in order to to save her own face. And also to use it as a political way to get rid of Otto Hightower, you know. So like all these things end up being a confluence of one another, where you you can't separate them, and that becomes a tragedy. Now Allison can't separate the idea that she had she cannot flip the coin and be like, oh, I'll trust Rhaenyra to not kill my children in order to to see that her bastards have no challenges. Because now the bastard thing is in her mind and everything. So institution, tradition, and family become befuddled within each other, just like real life. And they and they and they create some of the biggest and the best and worst moments for these characters. You know what's crazy? Uh when Allison was on her high horse about uh Rhaenyra, uh purity when she was prostituted to seduce her dad. I was like, you got a lot of nerve. Like, oh. yeah. that's, that's her. Like, that's why mm-hmm. she's such a hard character to like, even when they try to make her sympathetic. Allison 
as far as the history, the fictional history remembers her in, in Fire and Blood is a totally a bitch. Like she's like mm-hmm. in the same vein as as Cersei, but in just as just as um, implied to be just as cunning and just as narcissistic. Because that's you know, yeah, crazy. She's a misinformed bitch. Cersei is a lot less passive aggressive. Misinformed <laughs> bitch. Because she got the wrong information fit to her, you know. Yeah, and and that's still again with with that. It's that's one of those things where I think the writers got to be careful with that because the mistake in the in the in him saying the 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 prophecy to her, even if she if it was made clear, she could have went with it either way, like. Again, mm-hmm. he had spoken that prophecy to a prophecy to her. We forgot about this. And to young Allison, when he was on the day of the hunt, he said that I had a dream as clear as day at, that I had a son who wore the conqueror's crown and I set him on the iron throne and the dragons roared as one. He didn't understand what it was because in that world, reading prophecy is like looking i forget what they call it but it's 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 hard like you don't the just like the all song of ice and fire it was true they sat on that prophecy for 300 years before it actually happened (laughs) (laughs) so you know the targaryen dynasty ended before it actually you know which could have been you know that could be an underlying mystery perhaps the white walkers the others knew something (laughs) <laughs> and, and when the the and when the the fire was was snuffed out, they started making their move. Mm. So you know, it's 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 a world that gives you so much because a lot of the narrative is unresolved, and yeah. and that's that's what makes it so appealing. I think. Yeah, I was curious because it would be interesting if they had if um, maybe there was like a maester that was like the overall narrative of the story mm-hmm. um, in overdubs, not even like all of it or just like, you know, maybe the beginnings or maybe the, the bookends. But mm-hmm. I think that would, that could have been another thing that could have helped in terms of just like understanding when all these jumps happen and, and make sure that everything kind of gets into it. But the one thing I liked about House of the Dragons is um, <laughs> <laughs> was that um, it got back to the thing that I like Game of Thrones, but I like I like the po- the politics and the machinations of all the different houses. Like everyone's scheming to get schemed yeah. to this person to this connection. And to me, the original Game of Thrones, that's the thing that I like the most about it. Like the mm. Game of Thrones was the politics of it. it you know, yeah. Dragons was cool, White Walkers are cool, but in, at the end of the day, it was alliances. It was you know figuring out strategies, and like that to me was what the, the heart of Game of Thrones was. And I liked that you got to see a little bit more about this. Yeah. Um, and then I'm trying to think of the other good parts because you, you guys already already had already said the things I was gonna say. <laughs> Cinematography was like my big one, mm-hmm. um, but I would say yeah, like dude, just the casting in general. Like I think I was also concerned because I was really attached to Rhaenyra in the first what, four episodes, four or five. Mm-hmm, and like mm-hmm. that actress, she killed it. Like it was really cool. You got really got into her. Yeah. And then and then it flipped, and I was like, uh, oh wait, never mind. She's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, going. like I was, I was surprised. Probably one of the smoothest transitions where I was like, "Oh, no, this is fine." <laughs> yeah, her, her, and Olivia Cook, Emma. Um, yep. They, they, and Olivia Cook um, were really good in terms of picking up where Emily Carey and Millie Alcock, respectively, 
left off. I think in hindsight, and they probably would even admit this, it might have been better to have done the first season in maybe two parts where oh, yep. we get more of young Allison and mm-hmm. young Rhaenyra and then the, the other actors take over sort of like in the last episode or whatever. That's what I originally thought. I didn't think that it was going to be because if you think about it, if you look at the, the first five and the second five, it feels like the tale of two different yeah, right. Yeah, that's true. It's almost like you're in the second season in yep. the second half. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and exactly. I was exactly. rewatching it. I'm like, wow, wow. Like they wow, did it in Toronto. Wow. <laughs> How much story we went through. And yeah, so like I was like, went too fast, but then I also it takes away from when you have good actors. Yeah, and that's the move yeah. so fast. You're like, yeah. man. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't even get to spend too much time. Even though it was five solid episodes, I feel like, yeah, we could have done a whole season of a young princess. Mm-hmm. And then maybe the last episode flipped to the older one. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I agree. You know, like, again, it, it's like minor, minor, minor quibbles. Minor quibbles. Yeah, these minor are quibbles. if we could do it differently. This isn't like, okay, the it's bad. This is this is what made it took away from it. If, if if we could do it uh, just like Game of Thrones, I mean, we could say go probably another show about what to do different with that. But this was one of those things where there's is like a list of things like oh, if I could change, like I, I probably would have cast a younger to another actor to play young Kristen Cole or a different actor to play the older version. Mm. Because he's supposed to look like a man in his 40s, and we know that the actor is like, he's younger than me. Hey, hey, is he half black? Because he ain't cracked that all in the last 20 years. <laughs> well, he might be half Valorian. That's the only blacks we know in the, uh, <laughs> in the song. He, he it's looks- like, like the memes... Like the meme says, you know, salt preserves. That dude is the saltiest dude on on, on that cat. <laughs> him him and baby got the same skin routine. So. Salt is a preservative, sir. <laughs> yeah, so that I would have cast him as uh, I would have did an older version for um, Kristen Cole, just because yeah. it, it looks a little. It was like, wait a minute, it's, it's a little odd. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just because of the actor's age, like if he was slightly older, like maybe in his thirties instead of in his, I think that dude maybe in his mid twenties or early twenties like or something like that, then wow. it would have worked. It would have worked better. But you know, he's like, still looks like he's like nineteen and he's Dorian Gray, <laughs> yeah, or like Benjamin Button, whatever that fool's name the age in reverse. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So then. We're probably not going to get a second season for like what two years. <laughs> oh, you know, I thought it was supposed to come in 2023. Apparently, they don't, they're not starting to film until yeah. 2023. So that means, yeah, no, 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 it's two years, it's two years yeah. off, wow. and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I don't have a problem with it. To yeah. be honest, yeah. um, give me time to read up. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. the thing with Rings of Power is supposed to be not coming back for two years, but. Like I think Cam hit the nail on the head. It gives you time to catch up. I even I started reading the Sil- Silmarillion, and honestly, I'm glad I did because one of the George R. R. Martin said this: you have to look at the two properties as separate. Some they yes. are the same, but at the same time, 
a song of ice and fire, a world of ice and fire, fire and blood is that. It is a liter it's literature, it's reserved for that medium. House of the Dragon, Game of Thrones is written for TV. It's made for that medium. So there are things lost between the two. And you can't always get upset about that because it's 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 just the way that it's the nature. Yeah. Exactly. It's the it's the nature of the difference in mediums. And you, and you, you kind of want that. You, yeah. you, know, you want that because like, you know, yeah. especially if it's in a way that's like that, like we always go back to it. Expanse just probably did it the best. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> just, you know, yeah, making, sure that, making sure that the book and the medium and the, the new media kind of align together. Yeah. And and then even with the, the actual writers of the books on the show, so they can quote unquote correct things or fashion yeah. things how they think they want, which I also think is super awesome. It worked. Um, yeah. So I'm curious for this company. Like you said, we got, but yeah, probably they said, I think the last one was they filmed and then it, it came out maybe 16 months later. So we'll probably get about that 16 to 18 months. Yeah. If they start filming in January 2023, I would assume that we'll have, they'll probably be ready to roll it out by December or maybe like spring of 2024 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, right. two years solid. Yeah, like it'll be two years solid because of all the all of the work that has to go into it. And not to mention they're probably accommodating for some of their the actor schedule. I know Matt Smith has stuff booked up. Oh I know um, you know, he might be the one the one that has the most stuff that's probably oh, lined up mm-hmm. True. Uh, outside of House of the Dragon. Um but now a lot of them are probably going to be getting calls to do more work. And, you know, especially oh, yeah. Emma Darcy, because yep. they say they, I'm trying to be respectful. They are non-binary and they, and she said that she, I mean, she they said that they like playing a woman, but I would be interested to see if there's a role out there where they can switch it on and be a man. Yeah, that'd be interesting. You know, and and have a similar performance um, because it will be just a a very different look for between Queen Rhaenyra and whoever this other character would be, and probably an exciting challenge for 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 Emma. Yeah. Also, I think you know, like you said, it'll be interesting to see what other actors pop up in the next you know year, basically from the work they did on House of Dragons, House of the Dragons. Yeah. You know, because like you're right, Matt Smith. I know he was. He had some stuff, but I don't know, man. This was this kind of like probably his in American audiences. This is probably the thing they're gonna know him most for. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent, yeah. Like, like because that. the thing about House of the Dragon is it captures people who are not in sort of our nerdy circle, where nah, we, the point people is. that's not watching Doctor Who's and the Star Trek and the other stuff that these actors pop up in. Like you know, even Rings of Power is niche at this point because. You know, House of the Dragon, Game of Thrones captured that general audience that wants to see the sex and the and the violence and all that stuff. It doesn't matter if it has any substance behind it or not. It just just happens to have a lot of substance with it. But you know, um, that's why Matt Smith will be known more for that because again, it's just it's just one of those attention grabbers. But you know, he was in uh, Morbius, I think. Um, yep, man, yep, he was. He plays the, plays the <laughs> I saw it. I saw in the. I saw in the, uh, the the liner notes. I mean, that's how I, like, <laughs> I, how I was. I was like, what? "Oh, that's the guy from Morbius." Because I said, <laughs> yeah. I never watched the movie, but I was like, "I know his face." Yeah. You know, you you got to see him in Doctor Who, bro. It's it's he is the man. 
it, it is it is some incredible work that man does with, with with i mean it's great writing don't get me wrong but he really brings that script to life and for a character that at times can be a little goofy he really just plunges into it to the point where it's where it's not where where it just sort of pushes past being a little a little campy a little goofy to just being you, you, you recognize him as an alien. Hmm. You know what I mean? And he it's just it's really good. It's his his performance who whereas David Tennant was was supposed to be the restrained version of the doctor. Um <laughs> like you know dude's God, he's all power, you know, or at least extremely powerful. Um and doesn't really want to engage the world or the universe as this semi all powerful being. He's just like, yeah, I just want to, I just want to visit points in time and see what happens, and maybe change a thing or two where I can for the better. Matt Smith, <laughs> twenty five years of a season. <laughs> yeah, basically. and Matt Smith's version of the Doctor is more the vengeful. You came from my friends, and you're gonna make me unleash the power of the doctor if you don't stop flexing on my friends like stop chasing them stop coming after him because and and basically he gets pushed to a point where he has to confront the level of aggression that he's sort of wrought on some of his enemies as that version of the doctor it's really really interesting and he brings again i can't i can't stress enough David Tennant was the pinnacle, I thought, of what that role could be. And uh, amazingly, Matt Smith at times brought more, which is just astounding to say, uh, brought more to that role um, than I thought he ever could have and is at least on par with the level that David Tennant brought it to. Well, he's, he's a Shakespearean uh, actor, you know. Dude's played what? King, not King Lear. Yeah, King Lear. He's played the, like a bunch of different. He's he's like young Patrick Stewart level type <laughs> stuff. In my yeah, I think I even think um, to be honest, his roles have been have allowed him more. Uh, at least in film, Patrick Stewart is more amazing in his stage work um, sure. than his than his film TV work, uh, mm-hmm. which. Um, but Matt Smith, I think, because going back to House of the Dragon, there are just a lot of things that he did that you can tell that he just this is something special you have here. Like apparently mm-hmm. like the, the the last shot of season one being his idea where you know he delivers the news about Lucerus to Rhaenyra and the idea for him to step aside and have her turn and look at the camera that targaryen queen that queen targaryen dragon queen look that we know means somebody's gonna burn a lot of people are gonna burn um, <laughs> before this is all done but then you know also some of the other things we learned about him in in the to me it's the what you can say without saying anything and mm-hmm. Matt Smith was master class in that in his mannerisms in the way that he could communicate so much in without saying a single word. I look back at the scene where he kills his wife, uh, Lady Rhea of Runestone. He doesn't say a word in that whole sequence. 
I think maybe he says one thing, but for the most part, he doesn't say anything. She does all the talking. And he's got sequences like that where he doesn't speak at all. A lot of them in House of Dragon, like where it's just the camera on him and he's just like giving a look from the corner. Like, um, but Matt Smith said that he imagined Damon as kind of a lurker, somebody who kind of lurked. And you saw that when, because he was talking about the scene where he's sitting back and watching Allison and Rhaenyra and their kids go back and forth over who was right and who and all that stuff. And, um, but again, that makes me excited for what's coming because this the first season was very much very much a tease that the the early part of that story they it's written it's like you know the first part of dance of dragons was fought arguably with quills and and intrigue and you know and all these th- and, and back at backside deals once aemon kills lucerus then it becomes a true like they the gloves come off it's it's the it's proper war what these two side these two targaryen factions will do to each other and to the house itself into the realm has never been heard of and i told justice the scale of the things that are coming what these characters do there's only two things that scale up to that in the song of ice and fire that's the battle of the wall at the wall and the battle at blackwater bay Mm. Let me ask you something, D. When Allison sent her father, the hand, mm-hmm. to meet with, uh, oh, good Lord, uh, Damon and them, it almost seems like she sent them to her to his death because she knew, I, my opinion, I feel like she knew that by going there, he, he could be ended right there. It's possible sure. she wasn't she wasn't unaware of the enmity between those two. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it, it's something that's been going on for even longer than her and Rhaenyra's beef with each other. So she knows that Damon will kill him the first opportunity he gets. Um, it could have been a way to get get him off the out of out of off the board. Uh, yeah, because yeah. you know, there's things that were at play when she was at the table and they formally announced her husband's death and then she finds out oh you guys are plotting behind me she felt removed because her father she knows she's starting to see more clearly that her father is been playing the whole position and using her at the same time and then we come mm-hmm. to find out allison feels like she's on par with her father way especially when they were going to look for her son but like i was like kind of thinking like she knows her father and damon got beef she's going to send a message knowing that they're not going to receive this well and mm-hmm. that's almost sitting because I'm like, dude, we'll kill you on sight. And almost did if it wasn't for Damon's wife. Uh, Ray, how do you pronounce it? Rainera's? Rainera. So I'm like, if it wasn't for Rainera, Otto Hightower would not be coming back. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. I, and that was a calculate. But also, think about that car, that entourage. Who's the most expendable out of all of them. He is. He's not gonna send she's not gonna send Eamon because that's just a that's just a fight. That's not gonna even be words. That's Caraxes taking to the sky, Cyrax <laughs> taking to the sky, and at the end at least one of those two are gonna be dead. Um <laughs> Vagar might be dead. But but um 
that's why. And so she couldn't send Helena because they wouldn't get far with her. She couldn't. Aegon is the king. He ain't going. And even if even if he thought to go, they might murder him on the spot. Right. They'll kill him on the spot, or they'll at the at the worst they wouldn't kill him. They would just take him and 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 take him right. hostage. Like I think that's the, the thing that Allison worried. She didn't want her kids to be taken hostage because. Again, if any one of she would risk Otto t- being taken hostage, she would. It risk just made that. me think that, like, maybe she tried to end the war on a different scale by taking a small loss, and maybe we would see what would happen if Otto Hightower was out of the picture. It would just seem like, yeah, like, why would you send your dad to death? To, like, it literally, like, that's you're, you're a dead man walking if you go there saying that. Uh, my nephew's the king. You got to respect it. Bow down. And, <laughs> and but he's they also the only person that that's bold enough to go there and do that. And mm-hmm. and, and the ego and balls on on Otto Hightower to, to accept that. Yeah, he because Otto Hightower is very imperious. He thinks he believes he knows that what he thinks is right, and you can see that by the way he speaks about it in his mm-hmm. mind. There is no disputing what he has drawn to conclusion as fact, which is right because when the moment Aegon was born, Rhaenyra's claim was defunct, was was was, was yeah, no longer valid, and only no point. yeah. So he is arrogant enough, and and he's willing to die on that sword because now the damage is done. His blood is on the throne. That was the whole thing. And there's a large conspiracy that that the you know book readers will know that there's a belief that the high towers and the citadel were were trying to always get closer to the iron throne so that they can begin to to undermine the iron throne because the whole thing is that the faith of the seven never truly accepted the Targaryens because they were Valyrian and they they didn't accept the, the Targaryens aren't worshippers of the faith of the seven. They accept it, but they're not they're not pious in that way, like they're the, not the high towers of old town. But also something to note, actually House Tyrell are their overlords, but House Tyrell is only a hundred years uh is only a hundred years in existence at that point of at that period. By Game of Thrones, didn't they have the most money or they were pretty lucrative with the finances? Yeah, by Game of Thrones, that's about 200 more years added on and the high towers power, the high towers have been brought to heel. So the reason why the the Tyrells aren't as prominent is because they're kind of laying low. They were awarded the reach, but they weren't the most powerful house in the reach. Aegon mm-hmm. Targaryen awarded them the reach after uh he killed um the the uh the king of the reach in the field of fire um there was a lannister army on that field but the lannister king escaped and then went and bent, bent the knee and that's how the lannister survived and didn't weren't killed weren't destroyed during that period the lannisters, lannisters. <laughs> they are clever but um but um yeah um so at that period they're like kind of like still looked at as upstarts as as so house hightower has more power more political influence in the reach and the idea is that the other reason why house hightower wanted to get close to the iron throne is because 
they were going to try to convince Aegon to give the reach to them instead of the Tyrells. So the Tyrells are present. They will be mentioned, but they're kind of like laying low because, again, Highgarden is, even though they are the wardens of the reach, they're not. The high towers are all but the wardens in in everything but name. So hmm. that, that's something to to remember is to think about. They don't mention that, but the high towers aren't the wardens of that of that their region. They aren't the the overlords. Hmm. They they swear obeisance to House Tyrell, but they're more powerful than them. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. But, he, but I think that's the part too with. Um, George R.R.'s like just world in general like he just thought most of this crap out like all of it just kept you know like the whole world is this huge massive thing and then now you can kind of pick the pieces and where where you want to have it. like you can literally pick any one of those characters that you saw in House of the Dragon and how they have their own you know four issue comic book or like you know six oh, yeah. you know and that's the thing I like about it that everyone has enough depth that even if you only see them for a little bit of time and now they're connected they each have their own you know heroes of their own story if you want to put it that way yeah, I mean, it's interesting to think that Rhaenyra <clears throat> Targaryen is Daenerys's great, 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 great something grandmother. Yeah, and Damon is her great, 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 great something grandfather. So, you know, it's 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 interesting in that regard to, and I guess same with John. It gets confusing with the Targaryens since they double up on on familial titles. So, you know, <laughs> you know a cousin is an a cousin is an aunt is an uncle is a lover. Yeah, basically. <laughs> you, That's know. The, you know, that royal family issue. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a my, my, my sister type of thing uh, with the Targaryens. So, the, the, the yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and they, they draw their inspiration from, from very real, real, real figures in history. What do you, whatever <laughs> do you mean? Royal family? <laughs> yeah, you know. Hello. You're right. You can tell us about what are there, Kim? You're right. Mm-hmm. Just say you know, just take a closer look at the royal family. <laughs> look at them and tell me there ain't no incest. <laughs> I tried um, a big lighter for your sister. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, about how I went. So yeah. so then bringing it back, what do you guys what do you guys hoping for season for the next season? I mean it's like me, we have two years, but I would say um Cam, since you're like, you know, we'll go in that order. Improving the CGI. Hmm. Come on. Somebody give him a budget. <laughs> yeah, just improving the CGI. This would be this would be much pleasant to the eye, man. Like you got great characters, a good storyline. It's a small storyline. We don't have to invest too many seasons into this, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Give us a, a, a for the Game of Thrones enthusiasts out there. Give us another reason to care about these characters. That's cool. Just improve on the CGI. Um, my own personal gripe. Uh, Eliminate changes, small subtle changes, and that, in my opinion, will bear no difference in the storyline. That's just me. Uh, my the the differences in the storyline doesn't make a difference, but I also didn't see a reason for the change, for subtle changes that were char- there were motivation for certain characters, which kicked off certain events. That's just my personal gripe. And third, quit messing with the damn black white balance and and, and darkness. Of the- <laughs> it right like don't be cool don't be trying to be smooth and and i'll think your viewership like we all got smart tvs some of us have been in the industry come on now like yeah. don't piss <laughs> up and call a lemonade and think you're all smart this man it's terrible it's a bad look and just make yourself look bad um, <laughs> outside of that just keep with the 
the storyline, narratives, character development, um, maybe scale the pacing a little bit, but I know that's not going to happen based on theories and what potentially could happen. Um, but that last part is not a big deal. It's just, again, these are all my own personal gripes. But the biggest thing, it, the biggest flaw that's glaring visually is just the CGI. Just tighten that up. Get a mm-hmm. budget for that. Uh, Josh? Um, I am looking for next season. Dragons, dragons, dragons. Take it away, D. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm a, I'll go. Well, spend, I can get the extra time. You're gonna get as many dragons as you want, and then some. Sold. You, you <laughs> might not. Um, better, you might be up. crying by the end of all that, but you're gonna get exactly what you want. But um, anyway, um, they better up that CG. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the that is yeah. the biggest thing. The cinematography and the CGI, this the special effects need to improve um, for the scaled up stuff um, because there's going to be a lot of it. I remember I mentioned this to you guys way before this series was even made or even they even talked about doing it. I said if they ever did the Dance of the Dragons, it will be awesome, but it will also be the most challenging thing they did because. You know, that is the period in Westeros history where there is the most living, the most dragons, full grown dragons that existed. And that the whole, all the events that involve them require very clean, very crisp cinematography and and, uh, CG. And it has to be those late season game of thrones the way the dragons we saw how crisp drogan yep. was when he was Ooh. moving through the sky and and he mm-hmm. was doing his thing but a mat but that then put another dragon in that same sequence and the two of them locking up and fighting with and having to show the writers as well what they're doing and what's happening with them so man I don't they, they better that start people. doing that now <laughs> They, they better be talking to Zaslav and tell him, look, here's the here. This is this is a success, man. By all objective opinion, this is a hit in this age of streaming where we can do these numbers on both TV and streaming. Give us money if you yeah, want right. this to be good. Hey, it ain't my money. So spend away. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But yeah. that's what they need. They need. Uh, and I think they they'll. Need, they, I think just like the first season of Game of Thrones. You still have to always prove that you can that you can draw it, that you can bring in the audience. And I think there was hesitation because pe- pe- there was no secret that people stopped liking Game of Thrones at the end, and and they were really pissed off of what happened. So I think House of the Dragon, the creators, got punished for that in a way that probably wasn't fair, you know. Yeah, I definitely see that. But um, yeah, I think that's, I'm excited for it. I think you, cause you had talked about that scene literally way before all this and um, just saying how crazy it was. And so you're right. They don't, if they get that freaking uh, Black Panther third act uh, CG budget, Shay's not going to look good at yeah, all. Yeah, man, if you don't see I look like Merlin. Man. Because yeah, even the, the, the sequence with Vagar and Arax and, and, that was good, but that could have been so much more smoother and crisper if, yeah, 
They could have. Yeah, they definitely cheated because it was rain. They used rain. Yeah. It was dark. It was storming. The back, it was dark. The back, yeah. plate, the back plate palette was was gray. Yeah, they had they all the every chick they could. <laughs> they, thank you. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say, Cam, you know better than anybody that they pulled. They pulled every digital trick in the book to try to downplay how not gray G was. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's the that speaks to having very little money to to work with but trying mm-hmm. to get what you can out of what you got because you know technically it wasn't supposed to be a chase it was supposed to be Lucira tries to run Vagar catches catches up and knowing that there was nothing else they could do the dragons locked up and start fighting but it wasn't a fight it was basically a jump Arax <laughs> and that Vagar and Vagar jump down and most likely Lucerus is resting at the bottom of Bagar's belly. Basically. <laughs> because they never found his body. But if you look at the way Bagar The way that went down, there's no body to find. <laughs> no, he's down, he's by at the bottom of uh, he's ash and bone belly. in, in the there's bottom two, of that. There's the two dragon parts. Like, there's two dragon parts landed in somebody's field somewhere. Other than that, <laughs> That's it. Yeah, they, they wash up on the shore, it storms in. That's the head does. That's how that's how they find out that he's that he's dead. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's, that's that's when in the books. In the books, but we can assume that that's how it, it happened here because the dragon's carcass falls right below and storms in is right underneath where they are. Um or at least the, the lands of storms in. But yikes. Yeah, I mean I mean <laughs> one of the funniest memes I saw was uh Someone said this had Eamon like screaming, uh, no, no, Vagar, I just want his eye. And then Vagar is a 180-year-old grandma. I said, Oh, you want him to die? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> was like Vagar is 180, so she ain't about that whole uh like nah, Vagar, like I ain't playing around. He burned my face. What you disrespecting me, little 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 Facts. baby dragon? I mean the memes, the memes are fast and furious, and it's pretty oh, yeah. pretty pretty good. I, I gotta give it. The, these memes are almost better than well now, they're the same, same levels. Yeah, same level. on the same level, yeah. Yeah, same, same. I was like, I put I I for I created this these seven kingdoms. I'm the one that reason you here. <laughs> you burn me. Run up on me. So much disrespect in that show. <laughs> um <laughs> well, that's the all the time we have today. Um Thanks, everybody. You know what I'm saying? We, we'll check in in two years. <laughs> to tell our future selves, like, yo, how is it? Um, but other than that, Blurred Lines, we out. Peace. Peace.